0: Guys, for the reading of God's Word from First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Hear now God's Word. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Thus far the reading of God's Word, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday we looked at the cosmic Advent of Jesus. Jesus coming at the very beginning in creation to create the universe, to create the world. We thought about the bigness of God in that respect. He easily not only comprehends it, that is, he's not only just aware of it, he actually made it. He actually sustains it. Every molecule, every atom, every particular is sustained by him. He's that big. Then we looked at the cradle that rocked the world, and we took a look from the other direction to see how little he was. A baby in a manger. There in vulnerability, there in... Human flesh, there in an imminent way with us. And then last week we talked about his third type, his third advent, which was after his crucifixion and resurrection. He came back in seventy A.D. in judgment. That's what he spoke of at the uh, Olivet discourse the promise that he would come back, and he did. He came back in judgment and in salvation. He ended the old system, the Old uh, Old Testament sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the priesthood that pointed to him. It was no longer necessary. As Hebrew, the book of Hebrews says, it had become obsolete because now we had the substance. We had Jesus who is our high priest. We had Jesus who is our temple, who tabernacles among us. We have Jesus himself, who is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he used the Romans to bring judgment upon that old system that had abandoned him and failed to receive him when he came into the world. And then God also brought judgment, Jesus brought judgment upon the Roman Empire itself. We need a... Perspective, and that's what the Bible gives us, a way of looking at things. We're so small ourselves and so limited in ourselves that we don't have the kind of perspective we need to see the bigger picture. So God gives us his word, his instruction manual, if you will. But the Bible is a big book, and it's a long story, and sometimes it can be daunting and confusing, But the story is both simple and complex. It is simple in unity, and that's what enables us to make sense of the complex details. It's one story about Christ from beginning to end. The story of God It's the story of man, the story of sin, and the story of redemption. So it is a comprehensive story. It embraces every aspect of life and includes all things visible and invisible. At the center of the story is Jesus Christ. All things were not only created by him, they were created for him. He comprehends all of eternity. He is the mediator of the covenant between God and man. He is, as the Gospel of John says, the monogenes, the unique Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. All power and authority have been given to Him in heaven and on earth. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ died to save sinners, but this is also the offense of the gospel. Because it is the universal kingship of Jesus Christ that is so threatening to the Caesars of the world, to the kings and the rulers of the earth, as we read about in Psalm 2, but also for all the little Caesars, the little gods, the individuals who want to be in charge of everything, of their own lives, who want to do it their way, who want a God who's made in their image, who works for them. And just as the Bible opens with the story of conflict between the forces of evil and the forces of righteousness, the Bible also ends with a similar story. And I want to read a longer passage here to set the table for this. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was all ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born." She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer." And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives uh, to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The cosmic battle between Christ and Satan is revealed. We wouldn't know this on our own we couldn't know this but god has told us the woman uh uh, so we're given this this broader picture a panoramic view of this historic historical epic the woman depicted here is israel or the church in her faithfulness she's the wife of god decked with all the glories of heaven indicating her exalted position and we are not left to speculate as to the identity of the great dragon he is the serpent of old called the devil or Satan. This is one and the same who was in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was with Pharaoh. He was with Herod. And he has been present throughout history seeking to thwart the plan of God. Now the form of the dragon is identical to that of the beast in the next chapter, the one with ten horns and seven heads in Revelation 13.1. We learn later that the beast is the Roman Empire, as personified in Nero. This suggests that the activity of pagan nations, especially in their opposition to God's people, is satanically inspired. The powers behind the great evil empires of the world are the forces of darkness, and I would suggest that continues today. Again, people acting as their own gods Pagan nations are not simply ruled by corrupt and evil men. They are animated by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. Again, God is pulling the curtain back on history and giving us a look behind the scenes. So God's people are engaged in a cosmic struggle of epic proportions It's not just men they fight, nor men who fight against them. It's Satan himself who is at work fighting the fulfillment of the purpose of God. Nevertheless, we need not fear. For Satan is doomed to failure and has, in fact, already been dealt the decisive blow. Verses 4 and 5, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This male child, the son of the woman, is none other than Christ himself. Her son was destined, he says. it says, to rule the nations with a rod of iron, which is a quote from Psalm 2. This is, again, a description found of the Messiah not only in Psalm 2, but in Revelation 19 and Revelation chapter 2. It says he was caught up to God and his throne. There's the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God the Father. Notice that Satan stands ready to devour the child as soon as he's born. This speaks of the many attempts by the devil to destroy Christ. When he was a baby, Herod attempted to have him put to death. When he first began to preach, those in his own hometown sought to throw him over a cliff. And on more than one occasion, the Jews attempted to stone him. These were all strategies of the devil to get rid of him. In addition to these, remember that Satan himself tempted Jesus in the wilderness to sin against God. And he attempted through Peter to dissuade him from going to the cross. In all of this, there was more than meets the eye. A cosmic war was going on in which all the forces of hell were marshaled against our Lord in a vain attempt to overthrow God's plan of redemption. All of this is symbolized in the dragon standing before the woman, seeking to devour the child as soon as he was born. And this war extended, we're told, even into heaven itself between Michael and Satan. After the son of the woman is called up to the throne of God, the circumstances change. Satan is cast down from heaven, representing his decisive defeat, which he suffered at the death of Christ. Remember in Genesis, we said the seed of the, woman, uh, seed of the serpent would bruise the seed of the woman on the heel. That's the cross. But what also happened at the cross was he crushed the head of the serpent. He was defeated at that point a day or two before he went to the cross jesus said now judgment is upon the world now the ruler of this world shall be cast out he said this in connection with his death as demonstrated in the very next verse where he said and i if i am lifted up from the earth will draw all peoples to myself he said that signifying what kind of death he would suffer as the apostle Paul said, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over over them through him. Again, you, I've mentioned this a number of times. You got the picture of Jesus being hung on the cross by the Romans, which was their ultimate way of saying, "This man is was you th- acted like he was a threat to us, and here's what we do with threats like this." We strip them, we beat them, we torture them, we nail them to a cross, and we hang them up in public for everybody to see that they are utterly powerless. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. In Hebrews, we read, Through death... Jesus rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And John tells us in 1 John 3, 8, The Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. This is the decisive moment in this drama of redemption. Revelation 12, 10. salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast out. He's been thrown out of court. Satan's plan to destroy Christ backfired. This is not a future expectation. It is a present reality Satan is cast to the earth. He can't accuse the saints before God any longer, for they overcame his accusations by appeal appeal to the atoning blood of the Lamb. They also take territory from the satanic kingdom. In verse 11, by the word of their testimony, that is, by the preaching of the gospel and by their being willing to die rather than be intimidated by persecution. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short, for lo, his doom is sure. The war is over. The victory is ours. We stand assured in the presence. The child prevailed but he isn't quite finished he's coming back to wrap things up he's coming as the victorious king he's coming in glory to finish the story so will God accomplish his redemptive plan well a God that isn't sovereign can't be certain Every moment, you see, if God is not sovereign, if God is up wringing his hands, if he's stepping back and watching and waiting to see what happens, then every moment offers a new contingency and a new question. Perhaps the story won't end the way God predicted. Job captured the significance of God's ability to do whatsoever he wills. Job 9. He removes the mountains and they do not know when he, over, when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads out the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, and he does things past finding out, yet, yes, wonders without number, If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God is never surprised by men or devils. He can shake the little ant farm whenever he chooses. Romans 9. What if God... Wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Isaiah 55, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, the eternal Logos Remember we, we looked at that a few weeks ago. In the beginning was the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. He came into the world. He spoke the world into existence. The incarnate Word was born in Bethlehem. The resurrected Lord who used the sword of His Word to execute judgment in 70 A.D., He also will have the last Word. It is our wise, powerful, and sovereign God who is accomplishing all his holy will that gives us comfort, that gives us confidence in the midst of chaos. I don't like what's going on in our world. You don't. But stop worrying about it. We know how this story ends. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not engaged or involved, God's called us to participate. But we do so with confidence, not with fear and trembling. You see, they boast. They profess to be wise. And God, you know what God does when they do that? He laughs. That's what Psalm 2 says. He who sits in the heavens shall hold them in derision. I I just imagine a big belly laugh. Just, Are you kidding me? Watch this. It is our wise and powerful sovereign God. All things are working together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. The Apostle Paul was sustained. He was even emboldened by this knowledge while he was suffering personal tribulation. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 3. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, this favor was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. He actually believes the Bible. He actually believed that Jesus made everything and it was all made for him. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Don't be troubled that the Apostle Paul's in jail. That's no problem. God's even using that. We've been given a vision of the future. Men are fascinated by the possibility of knowing the future. They're so fascinated that they are really vulnerable to a great deal of foolishness. But men can't see. Second Corinthians 4, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ wrap up this morning, I'm going to cite a number of passages because this is our authority. This is the living word. And it really gets, always gets down to this. Do you believe this? Is this the truth? Because if it is, it changes everything. It changes our families, our marriages, our children, our jobs, our relations with each other. Everything changes if this is true. And if it's not, what do I always say? Let's go home. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we are annihilated. That's the alternative. So as we read these, say, do I believe that? God's people have been given a glimpse of the future. He sees the future more clearly than we see the past. Here's what he says. Revelation 21. Now I saw God himself will be with them and be their God. Sounded sounds like Emmanuel, right? God with us. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. Do you believe that? As Jesus was about to come to Bethlehem as a baby, the angel told Joseph this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Well, when Jesus comes in all of his glory, he will be with us forever. And we will join with all the living creatures before his throne to give him the glory due his name. Revelation 4. Verse 9 through 11, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by you and by your will, they exist And were created. We should remember that our story was seen and understood by those who have already gone before us. Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Well, here we, here we are as well, like Abraham, and we too have the same promise of a new city of God. Again, Hebrews 12, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks of better things than able. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it will change everything. Our story of redemption was from the beginning a story of God's plan to redeem, to buy back, to repair, to restore, to create a new world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mission accomplished. Revelation 7, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Another sermon for another day. There's the answer to racism right there. Jesus. He throws all that out the window. Standing. Before the throne, before the Lamb of God, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Conclusion. We know that our story has a happy ending for God's people. We win. Good triumphs over evil. All things are reconciled in him. The apparent tragedy turns out to be a comedy. It all ends with a wedding feast, with a glorified bride and groom. Every detail of life serves his purpose, even the things we don't understand. How does this affect the way we live? We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand. In words, by believing what God has said, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were made, not made of things which are visible. Therefore, Paul writes to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He wasn't embarrassed at all about saying these things, not in the least. No apologies. No whisper. I know you don't believe the Bible. I know you don't believe this, but I, this is my personal belief. That's, that's not Paul. <laughs> Boldness. This is the truth. Without this, you perish in your sins forever. That's what's at stake. I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him, which is my life, against that day. What day? Every day. Judgment day. Let's pray. In John 17, Jesus prayed for us, and so let us hear that prayer now. So this is the words of Jesus praying. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Amen.